0: .NET Rocks episode 972 with guest Zoiner Tejada, recorded Wednesday, April 16th, 2014.
1: Thank you very much and welcome back to DotNet Rocks. Uh, it's Carl and Richard and we're here in Florida again at dev intersection, angle brackets, the whole thing, all yeah. of the intersections.
2: SQL intersection, SharePoint intersection, Azure intersection, Visual Studio and ASP.net, there's a lot of stuff going so, on. So here's
1: the thing. A lot of people didn't get, some people didn't get the memo about connections being intersection. Do you want to address that? Yeah. Um, without without
2: being rude yeah. in, in, any, in, in any way, we just uh, had a parting of ways with the folks over at Penton that run connections, and most of the people that were involved were leaving, right Uh, and so there was just this opportunity and really i felt a responsibility to to you know you don't work for companies you work for people right and the people that made connections really work were leaving right and so uh, those are guys i'd worked with for 20 years right sure and and on different conferences of uh, conferences before connections even Yep. and so being able to get those folks together and make the best show we could possibly make right um that's what intersections is right it's just intersecting a great logistics team with unbelievable speakers awesome support from microsoft and a
1: lot of other sponsors sure. to uh to make the best conference we can make that's how this happened and here we are yep so and we're back in the Some of the places with some of the people that we've been uh, talking to and uh, recording with all these years. Mm -hmm. Okay, man, let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, buddy, what do you got? You know, our friends over at codeproject.com don't get enough love. Oh, yeah. That is a great site. Yeah, for sure. Codeproject.com for those who code. Um, Still a lot of great stuff going on there. I found this great article uh, the other day on dynamic blob creation and uploading files in azure and uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash azure blobs and stuff and stuff and i'm serious i love it because you know the tiny urls are getting they're uh, getting eaten up they're getting eaten up so you got to be creative here tinyurl.com slash azure blobs and stuff uh, dynamic blob creation and uploading files. So the introduction says, Windows Azure provides various cloud-enabled storage services, and blob storage is one of them. Uh, blob is binary large object, which means unstructured data that typically includes images, documents, audio, video, or other multimedia objects. The main purpose for using blob cloud services many advantages of store- over-storing files in a local file system. So uh, it basically shows you how to do all that. And it's a relatively new... Uh, just a couple of days old article some great code there and um, lots uh, lots and lots of accolades for this article well and reliable uploading is something that is near and dear to your heart yeah sure is and uh this is this is all good stuff and he walks you through the process awesome yeah well nice find dude yeah very good So, Mr. Campbell, who's talking to us today? Dug back a bit,
2: grabbed a comment off of show 899, and that's the one we did with Bob Yuva, the guy from New Relic, where we were talking about instrumenting production, which means we ended up talking about New Relic a fair bit. But I thought it was a great conversation around...
1: Way back in the 800s. Way back
2: in the 800s. (laughs) Almost. Thousands not far away, my friend. It's on us any day now. It's not going to be long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, this comment comes from George Leahy. He says, Hey guys, great show as always. I was really drawn to the sidetrack about the psychology of software engineering and getting kids involved in software yeah. and thinking like a programmer. Mm. Working in a, quote, waterfall shop and trying to teach agile, it's not the tasks that are hard to teach, but the psychology and the reasons behind the ideology. Mm. It's very hard to teach middle managers that giving engineers the ability to choose their own tasks and estimate story points that makes them more connected with the task and that scrum teams is as much about building the team as it is building the software. You
1: know, truer words were never said.
2: Yeah, it's all about the autonomy. You know, we're at this place now where
1: mastery and autonomy are far more important than just the mechanics of right. writing software. We're not making potato chips here. You don't yeah. check your brain at the door when you enter the workplace.
2: And you can't dictate those things. A,
1: you're wrong. And
2: B, you disengage the mind you needed most engaged. Yep. Anyway, uh, George goes on to focusing back on the kids' side of things. To be able to do this at an early age with kids who are, as you put it, natives to the computer world yep. seems to me a huge benefit for the whole software community. Yes. Keep up the great work. I have Show 1000 marked on my calendar. Oh, boy. Now, this comment's from a few <laughs> months ago. So, George, you got it marked at the wrong place. That's right. We added another show now that We're week. doing three shows a week. So, Show 1000 is going to show up in late June. Yeah. But I think we're still going to do a party in August. As it turns out, Show, show 1024, <laughs> the real 1K That's show. That's the 1K show right That's there. the middle of August. Yeah. Yeah, so be that's where that one's going to drop. George, thanks so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or via any of our mobile apps. We make them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, Android, and iOS. And those apps are built by Diatom
1: Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app, just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And Zoiner Tejada is here. He is CEO and architect at Alliance providing architectural guidance and expert solution implementation support to enterprises and startups, leveraging cutting-edge technologies from Microsoft. He's passionate about leveraging cloud technologies and Windows Azure services to build web-based solutions that run at scale. He's a Windows Azure MVP and advisor to Microsoft and enjoys engaging the greater community by speaking at conferences and user group meetings, as well as via his book Programming Microsoft's Clouds by Rocks. And plural site online courses. He has a degree in computer science from Stanford University. Welcome, Zoyner.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: Great to be here. And that, you know, we were talking before the show uh, about the talks that you're doing here at Dev Intersection. And it turns out the talk that I wanted to see. Most badly on uh, Windows Azure Media Services is at the same time as our next .NET Rocks recording. <laughs>
0: well,
2: and I'm almost embarrassed. This is the first time you've been on the show, Zoner, because yeah. you know you've been doing amazing stuff in this space for so long. Oh, yes. And we just not. Uh, I don't. I, can't, I, have no, I have no explanation. You finally yeah.
0: came to your senses. Yeah, clearly I am a <laughs> we're, we're
2: deeply. We're deeply ashamed. And nah, sorry. I'm very honored
0: to be here with and you And we've guys. had Thank your you.
2: cohorts on. I think this last week, right. Brian Noyes was on the show a month or two ago with Michelle. Michelle's so. been
1: on many times, yeah. of
2: course. So Michelle Arubas de Thanks so much for, for joining us. It's uh, It's really a pleasure. And you, clearly, you're living and breathing a cloud world these days. Because, Absolutely. You know, so Alliance is, is consulting services.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we, we sort of have a unique model on consulting services in that we like to describe it as we, bring the a, we build the A-team on the fly for our customers. Nice. So there are a lot of the speakers that are here today <laughs> sure. are actually Soliance Network partners, even though they have their own gigs. Mm-hmm. Right, we plug them in based on customer demand and flesh out a whole corporation they can hang their hat against and make the lone wolf succeed right. uh, in an enterprise.
1: That is really cool. I, m- I remember talking to Michelle about that before. She she wants to take people who have their own careers and their own things going on and find their core competencies and just keep them on hand, you know, whenever a customer needs that particular expertise. Exactly. And then it's boom, connect them and get them on working on some project. Yep. Yeah, that's a great model. And that way you're not requiring a huge commitment from these people, you know, long-term
0: commitment or whatever. Exactly. Well, there's two big things, right? If you look at the big consulting firms that are out there, if you're a rock star, right, like a lot of the speakers here, Mm -hmm. right, you know, the big consulting firms are going to take 45% of yeah. your billable time, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're driving the revenue to the consulting firm yeah. because you're the rock star, your, your name is bringing it, but yeah, you're yeah. also doing the work. And you're going, why, right. why am I losing 45%? Right. And on top of that, they own you because right. they, you have these exclusivity clauses in the contracts sure. right? That you can't do work for other customers, which means as a consultant who's you know, into doing innovative things, you are blocked from innovating. That's What's problem, my
1: that's motivation what here? <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So again, so tell us just briefly, um, what are you talking about here at Dev Intersection?
0: So I have three talks that I'm covering at, at Dev Intersection. I have a talk on Azure Websites, Which continues to get richer and richer with more functionality. This time it really felt like one of Michelle's avalanche talks, where there was so much that I literally (laughs) could not take a break in between feature descriptions. Turning on the fire hose. Yes, totally. (laughs) Everyone was drowning. (laughs) They they, they liked it, but they were definitely gasping for air at the end. Um, And then I I gave a talk on scheduling distributed compute in Azure, Hmm. which is how you do large scale compute, right? So we actually, I I based it on work we did for a cancer research company. If you imagine the the effort that it takes to take an image with three million cells on it and find the one cancer cell it's a needle in a haystack problem and oh incidentally we need to do it in minutes and it can't, you know, not in weeks
1: Now we were talking before the show and my first question was did you use MapReduce like Hadoop for that Right. And, and it turns out that no MapReduce wasn't the right tool for that job
0: correct you can fit it's it into a MapReduce job but it's 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 awkward right we went with a much more uh atomic approach using you know worker counts. roles yeah worker roles and service bus and azure storage and websites right just so you chop up the
1: image into a bunch of squares and assign those squares to divide each and conquer yeah yep beautiful
0: that's, that's it in a nutshell and then uh the third talk i have coming up uh is on azure media services so this one really is uh, a unique perspective on Azure Media Services. Because everyone rolls their eyes when this Azure Media Services. Like, I'm not NBC. I don't care. Right? But the reality of is, Azure Media Services has an angle that you can use it. If you're just a modern website developer, like, what? videos are everywhere. Mm. Right? And there's certain types of videos like hero images and background video that you want to put into a website that uh, you can't use YouTube for. Mm-hmm. Right? You need uh, a proprietary system that can stream that for you true that Azure Media Services can do it for you, and it's like on twenty bucks a month. So it's something really. If you're a modern website developer, makes it super easy to do. It's
1: one of those things that people just think it just works magically, right. and that yeah. there's no effect. You know, and audio is the same way, right, Richard? Yep. We've talked about this for years. It's like people just don't think that there's anything to it because they experience it, they consume it so much. Right. you think, oh, it must be just easy. You know, all video is the same. I
0: just put it up there, and it works. Mm -hmm, Exactly, and and across all the devices. What do you have, 33 different encoding formats, ultimately, that you have to target? (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to not (laughs) deal with that, thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much. (laughs) Well, and plus the distribution of it, too. Oh, not only does it work on every device but 100,000 people want to be able to view it at once exactly. And have no tolerance for the fact that you would jitter at all.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now they're starting to expect adaptive streaming. right? right? So that's the, where it starts off a little fuzzy and it gets more and more crisp as the, your, your network bandwidth is figured out right. automatically. right? And
1: so that is all working in, yeah. in Azure?
0: Actually, Azure is the first one that I've seen. Um, AWS doesn't do this yet, uh, uh, support what's called MPEG-Dash, which is the first adaptive streaming protocol that you can use uh, Within the browser, within yeah. an HTML5 browser. Right,
2: right. Because before this, it was smooth streaming from the IIS team with Silverlight. With Silverlight, yeah. So that's the
1: first time I saw that really Doesn't work. YouTube use this as well, though? Don't they have, well, they have some other solution, but... It works in the browsers.
0: Um, I'm not too familiar with what YouTube uses, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, MPEG-Dash right now, it's still nascent, right? Because MPEG-Dash yes. is trying to come out as a standard. Right, right. right? And they've released JavaScript libraries for doing it. Uh, so right now, it, it works uh, only in Chrome and IE11, if I mm-hmm. remember correctly. Okay. Right? That obviously will grow as, you know. But it's
2: big since the latest browsers are, are trying to implement these standards right up. It's critical,
0: that. right? Why, why Why should you have to install an app to view a video? Right. And it works
1: on all the phones as well?
0: Uh, on the HTML5 ones? um that's a good question. I, I don't know uh, if it's totally compatible. Uh, I, I think the problem is we've gotten to the point of maturity on progressive mm. download, progressive streaming video, yeah, right, right? Where it's just downloading chunks. Sure. Um, but adaptive is still very fragmented in its support across mm-hmm. devices mm-hmm. and browsers.
2: Well, like, you know, the, you know, I just, it just really hit me. We now take for granted that web browser like chrome updates itself every time you close it yeah mm-hmm. ie is pretty much behaving the same way like those are the most up to date browsers in the world you don't do that with your phone yeah the phone still has pretty big barriers mm-hmm. no matter what phone you've
1: got for when it gets an update and i would say that you know updating your phone is something that people still do with like with trepidation do i want to do that right now yeah. i'm about to go into a meeting or you know i got a big thing tomorrow you know I only want to do that when I'm not when I'm sure I can go without my phone for a day. Yeah, if something goes wrong,
2: it's not a trivial thing where it's you know you don't even know Chrome's updating anymore, right? It just does it, and the phones are just not there. So I would expect you know uh, MPEG dash, yeah, working on the on the the latest desktop browsers, but not working in the phone yet, right? Just because they don't
0: have it installed. Well, it also requires some core infrastructure. It's called a media source. Right. And that's something unique to the browsers. Like the browser vendors have to put in this middle tier layer. Right. Decide they're actually going to do
2: that. Yeah. Well, and the, and the phone's way more constrained bandwidth-wise. Like this is a much bigger
1: deal in that space. Exactly. Uh, so, you. so out of all of these topics, which one really likes you up the most? I mean, which is the most fun?
0: Well, you know, they're all fun because I like working on innovative projects. Sure. But, uh, you know, an interesting connection is, you know, one of the things that people think about with video or maybe not think about, right, is the analytics, right? Like, how do you know how much people are watching your video? Sure. Do you want to understand how far they're getting in your video? Are they finishing the video, right? Mm. Like, we've worked with customers where they, they do uh, an online uh, curriculum, right? So mm. they want to track, mm-hmm. you know, that the students are progressing, Mm-hmm. Right and progressing means actually watching the videos. Sure. Right. Uh, how do you track that sort of stuff? So analytics is something that's very close to my heart, and that's you know jumping on the the, the bio that you read for me, which was great. Uh, you know, I was recently awarded a Google Developer Expert uh, from Google yeah. in in analytics. So this is you know in addition to my Azure MVP from Microsoft, I have a GDE from Google. I'm probably one of the you know a few crazy people in the world, crazy enough to jump across clouds like that, but. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, um, something that's coming to mind right away is that one of the problems we have as you know, with .NET Rocks being audio is that MP3s are expected to be downloadable, whereas video is not expected to be downloadable because it's so big. Right. And once you've consumed it, there's no way you're keeping it around because it's so big, right? Mm-hmm. Just by virtue of the size of video, uh, it's streaming, and, and that's good. Because it's streaming, you can do analytics on it but when somebody downloads an mp3 we have no idea if they've listened to it or not because there's no way we can hook into their we only know they downloaded yeah, it yeah we only know they downloaded it yeah so if we wanted to do real analytics on all of our shows we would we would bar them from downloading and require that they listen streaming only and i'm sure that the the the, the you know the peasants would revolt
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> well you actually have an alternative point, right well yeah. you have an alternative here yeah. right which is uh, you can integrate with the playback Right, uh, so if you're using HTML5, right, you can okay, use the but audio
1: tag. That's that's only if they play back on a browser or in something. Right, right, that we right. Absolutely, work.
0: but yeah. you got to start somewhere to collect your analytics, sure. right? Um, and well, we, What I'm saying
1: is, we do that, we do that, but uh, but if somebody downloads it and then brings it, you know, to a a, a player that we can't put right. where it's cached, where it's cached, right? Yep. So yeah.
0: You can't do that uh, today not easily, but there there are solutions for yeah, that. Sure.
2: Well, and our, our mobile apps do that. Yeah. I and mean, sure. one of the reasons to have a phone app was that we were able to do a little more instrumentation. Yeah. I think we have a legacy issue. Yeah. You right. started yes. this so long ago, That's Mr. Right. Franklin. Right. I blame
1: you because, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: you know, there wasn't even RSS you know, when you started. I, I'm,
1: I'm taking a class in ESP and I plan to get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same, you know, to your point. Yeah.
2: We cannot take a, deny a long term listener of .NET Rocks yeah. the, the forcing them to have to change the way they listen to the show. Of it's just not, not a
1: good way to behave. And it's not there's and we never do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, but it does. It is interesting that the just the difference in those formats, just because of the file size. Yep. it's like opens up a whole new world for you for you for video. Yeah. So the solution. Video only. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Even if it's just audio. Yeah. <laughs> it's a black screen with, vid- with audio. Uh, I don't no. want to do
1: talking
2: head videos. No, no, forget that.
0: But that said, there, there actually is a solution here, right? Which okay. is Because this is not a new problem, right? And right, trying to measure and collect metrics across devices, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're not just talking about, oh, I want to know how people who are using like, you know, my app on a phone right. are comparing to people who are visiting my website, yeah. or like you brought up the offline scenario. Yeah, I yeah. want to track that, right? So you need uh, tools and infrastructure for doing offline metrics, and then you know sending them up to your server when when the the connection is reestablished.
1: If they're listening on a on you know on a on a PC, but you know if they're listening on a. Who knows what right yep. a portable an mp3 player. player that is not a phone that's right. not a whatever yeah or they're making a cd and they're listening in their car i mean there's so many things that we we could miss mm-hmm. yeah but i go all right so let's get back to analytics of uh of video provides this mechanism and provides an opportunity to do really cool analytics but it's not just video that uh Yeah.
0: Absolutely. All right. When you're talking about analytics, you know, I I visited your website today and I just wanted to take a peek. You know, it's a Google Analytics nut, right? I'm I'm looking at your website and going, oh, yeah, okay. So they they have Google Analytics enabled. Great. Mm -hmm. They're doing page view tracking, sort of the stuff that everybody who's, you know, at least turned on Google Analytics on their website is collecting, right? Right. People visit a page. What's the the page flow that they navigate through? What kind of technology are they using to view your website with, right? Uh, Well, it turns out there's a new layer. Right of Google Analytics, which is all that cool stuff that you're used to being able to do in the browser, and then some. Mm-hmm. But being able to use a REST API to emit those events. Mm-hmm. Right. Nice. So this is super cool for a lot of scenarios because it goes cross-device. Mm. Right. You can do it in in areas where you don't have a browser. Mm. Right. And so uh, the example I, I throw out that's really relevant here is you know you have your Windows Phone device, right? Google okay. Analytics doesn't have uh, an app uh, SDK for. Right google analytics on windows phone okay Mm. you have it for ios you have it for android but you don't have it there Mm. right and there's other obviously lots of other devices that are kind of in that in that boat Mm -hmm. Um, you can just use this api where you just do a post and you can track all the same types of events that you would with google analytics Mm. for your website with this so what are you posting uh it's it's a very simple uh, body uh that includes so i'll give you three scenarios right? right you have user timings so like this is your measurement right so when we were talking about uh not only measuring your front end performance, but you know, what was the query time on this database? Sure. Right? I can mm. measure that with user timings. Mm. Right? Uh, you can track exceptions. So from your code running on Azure, you know, maybe in the back end or from within Node.js, mm-hmm. right, you're emitting these events. That then now you can correlate with the front end. Sure. Super nice. cool. Yeah, yeah, And then of course you can emit your sort of custom events, right? Like uh, we've used events on the on the front end as an example for tracking text-to-speech usage on an accessible web page we built. We That's wanted neat. to understand how much people are clicking the Speak page button, right? Right, yeah. You know, and how long they're listening. So, those are sorts of things you, you know, you normally could only do client side. Mm. Now you can do them server side. So, you know, the the notion of you want to know how much processing is being done, you want to know how far along people are downloading things, you want to know how much time it took to interact with the database, you want to get all the metrics that, you know, previously you needed to instrument your code for. Mm. It's like, hey, if you can make a post request, just. You're there. Post it
2: when it happens. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. and then you get all of the ability to correlate and visualize and query that information in the Google Analytics dashboard, which is powerful. So, like the example I'll give you is like, you know, I might track these events of like server performance right on my Azure site, but then I can automatically map that performance on you know, Google Analytics, the, the map dashboard, yeah. and see, how am I performing across regions? Right. right? Mm-hmm. And then correlate it with other dimensions. So it's a pretty powerful solution. Now that we're, it's cool. still
2: an online option. You need to be able to post. Yes. So I mean, But
0: you can do it in a cached fashion. Right. You, know, you have a four-hour window right now mm-hmm. that you don't need to post in real time. So you can say, this was something that I collected X number of hours ago, and then post it later in batch. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, so mm. if you get this code on your little MP3 player device, mm-hmm. when they're connected again, you could batch that exactly. back up to them. Exactly, but it's only a four-hour window. It's only a four-hour window. How do you enforce that? Like, why is it four like, hours? Google
0: Analytics will just not record it, right? Won't, won't receive it. it. Mm. That's it. Yeah. Uh, again, if that's really a problem for you, right, you, you just treat it as if it was a current one, right? right. And adjust. Your
2: Don't worry about the timestamp. Don't worry so about much. the exact timestamp. Okay.
0: Right? Because, again, as you're starting to deal with web scale, you're worrying less and less about individual signals, individual beacons, Mm -hmm, as much as you're worrying about beacons in the atmosphere. And what's a gestalt. Yeah.
2: Right? Exactly. You know, thinking about if we were instrumenting a player for the show, it's like, how far did they listen? Sure. Did they click a button when they hit a particular point because they wanted more information? Things like that, that you care about those events, but you don't care exactly when they happened in real time. You care what they happened in relation to the show.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: Yeah. That's so really that's and
0: that's metadata you can associate with it, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to necessarily have a timestamp to make that correlation yeah. possible. Yeah,
2: that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really interesting. So to me, you're hitting on a couple of key issues stuff that I've dealt with for years is building high-performance websites is you're getting log data from all these different sources and trying to assemble a failure chain.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: All right, something went wrong on this browser that caused this funny post message on the web server that barfed all the way back to the database. Exactly. How do I get those three log files, the, the log system that happened in the browser, the log system that happened in the web server, the log system that happened in the database to coordinate so that I could find all of these errors are related to the same actual event.
0: That's still a hard problem if you stop and think about it, right? Because mm-hmm. you have two approaches, right? You can use tools that aggregate all that information. Mm-hmm. So you have tools that can do log processing across various log sources right. and deal with that in retrospect, right? right? The key thing is that your data being logged has to have some correlation identifier in there, yeah. right? So I've carried section identifiers. Exactly, right? right? Sure or you can be proactive about it and use a standardized tracking mechanism so sort of like everyone's used to putting diagnostic.trace into their code right right i mean across your layers have uh you know your tracking code to log those sort of diagnostic events mm-hmm. right that are important for correlation across and have those tokens right, right. so like the example here with, with google analytics is uh, that measurement protocol that i was talking about right mm-hmm. so there you have a client id so you can literally follow you can assign this client id you know at the uh, web page level, right, and follow it through the web API layer. Follow it through to say your background uh, worker process in, in a web role, in a, in a web job, you know, right. like in Node.js, and then maybe even follow it back to something that's happening, you know, with another service that back you're invoking back in service, back service, back data in service store, database, whatever. You name it may be. It, right. So uh, the fact that it's so simple, right, I think is really empowering right. you to use it across the tiers, and that it does the correlation for you. It's like, hey, problem yeah. solved. Candy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean the I like making logging simple. I just find that then you know the developers find a, a hammer they really really like and start whacking everything, mm-hmm. and you have this battle of meaningful log data yes. versus the sheer volume and noise. Like just going and looking at the system event log in Windows, right, shows you Microsoft hasn't figured this out yet either. There's just a ton of unimportant messages in there.
0: Well, that's part of the problem, right? Because it comes down to What's important to log is it, or what's important not to log, but to see, right? right. As, as a decision maker, when you're looking at any sort of dashboard, mm-hmm. is, it, is it the individual log messages that were important, the category of those log messages, or just the count, right? right. So a lot of the times the decisions are really made off of metrics, right? So you have dimensions that, you know, aggregate what you've collected right. and say, look, it seems like a lot of people are failing at this point where we're requesting an image from blob storage. Right? Why is that? Like, what, what kind of throttling are we hitting here? Right? That's a great metric because mm-hmm. you start seeing a lot of exceptions. You group that, and that's what you display on your dashboard. Right? Is the aggregate result, and that's where you drill down and say, okay, what's the actual error messages, and go from there. It's pretty rare that you know you're you're, you're facing the millions of log entries, and then you're able to infer. Oh yeah, that's it. I'm gonna like you know psychically figure out what this problem yeah, the was. The statement <laughs> you
2: made about it's only when they make this kind of request that this kind of error occurs. Yep. That's a lot of data association right there.
1: Exactly. Yeah. In, in yeah. your, in your um, consulting gigs, do you, you're setting up these things for your customers. Are you also looking at the data with them and sort of analyzing it and helping them understand it?
0: Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a total data geek, so yeah. I love <laughs> digging into the stuff with so them. So
1: what are some of the most surprising things that you and your customers have discovered about you – know, give us a story. You don't have to name names, but um, something that was totally unexpected
0: – Sure. So, well, I'll give you a situation where it, you know, it comes back to data-driven decision making, right. right? Being very important to mm-hmm. an enterprise, especially when you're, you know, dealing with like a, a web-scale database with a web-scale site with a lot of customer traffic, right? So, we we're talking; these guys probably had on the order of four hundred thousand visitors a month. So, wow. a moderate to high website, yeah. depending on your perspective in yeah. life. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're not yeah. Amazon.com. No. But they're not, you know. Bob's website, either. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, the scenario, you know, they, they were trying to figure out it. So we, we created a system that if you imagine uh, you took Adobe Illustrator, mm-hmm. right, that you use to create uh, documents, um, you know, rich comp, you know, newspapers and flyers and what have mm-hmm. you, um, they're creating a newsletter, right? And we enabled them to create that online in the browser with no Adobe tools and render it with the fidelity of a PDF. Hmm. Right, hmm. so cool stuff. Uh, and once we had that, that really lit up a lot of capability for metrics. So one of the examples I gave was we were tracking text to speech. How often were people having you know these things, these documents spoken to them, read aloud? Yeah. But we also were able to come up with interesting analytics of like, well, you know, they they come out with these documents in different languages, right? Which languages are they better suited to be spending their time investing in and, and producing versus which languages are nobody using? So the example, simply put, was you know we found that. While they, they put a ton of time into producing Spanish language content. Right. None of their customers were really using it. It was like, you know, most of their, their usages had, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of, of views per document. Spanish had like a hundred.
1: And you're wow. going,
0: well, that was an easy decision. Yeah. <laughs> Stop right. doing that. Right. <laughs> right. And, and so that's, that's a case where, you know, being able to have that data at your fingertips mm. to do the data driven decision making. Cause they didn't know they were going to ask this sure. question when we started. Yeah. But that's the beauty of collect all the data that you can. Right. And just have the right tools to be able to analyze it later.
2: Wow. Mm. Don't and, yeah. Don't look at raw data.
0: Yeah. Use <laughs> exactly. some
2: aggregation. And start to pull some things that are relevant out.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and I, I think I have dealt with lots of folks being blindsided by their own analytics. You know, mm. like where there's so little content in Spanish that nobody's reading the Spanish versions of things, and so why should we bother with Spanish? You know, mm-hmm. to actually making sure you've got a realistic set of numbers so you're not fooling, creating self-fulfilling prophecies. Exactly. Hmm. And be, it's just interesting to battle that, build a metric good enough to say, okay, well, there's lots of views here, <laughs> lots of content here, and you're not getting enough traction.
0: Well, that's, that's actually a very interesting point, which is it comes to building a perspective on your data. Right. And that's not something you can do at day one, mm-hmm. right. right? It's like, you know... I give you the example of: Is a thousand page views here good or bad? Right. It depends, right? It's all relative to your context, so you have to learn how to put it in context for your particular scenario, and that you can only do by having the metrics in the first place.
2: And and I've seen people deceive themselves with rate of growth numbers too. You know, Uh going from five to ten. Hey, we doubled our. Yeah, the vanity
0: metrics. Yeah, gotta love those. (laughs) And
2: well, and you know, reality is there's a big difference between going from five views to ten views versus five hundred thousand to a million views. Exactly. Like that's a, but the percentage would be the same.
0: Right. <laughs> yep, yep. Those vanity metrics never help you.
2: So how do you define a vanity metric versus a, well, what's a good metric? Well, how, what would you say is a good metric?
0: Uh, well, I, I would say a good metric is one you have to take in context for starters. Right. But the vanity metrics are exactly the ones you said where they're just generalizing like, to, to paint sort of a glittering generality. Oh, mm. we doubled in size. Right. Right. But doubling in size from two to four users is meaningless. Like you said, doubling right. in size from 500,000 to a million users is significant. Yes. Right. So, uh, again, it's the vanity metrics is often something that happens without context. Right. Right. It's what's the relevance of that metric.
2: Yeah, actually setting some relevance around it. I have a. A book that I've kept for years called How to Lie with Statistics. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. it's an old book. It was, I think the original version was from the 1920s and I had like the 35th reprinting of it. But it was all these ways that you were reflecting accurate data, but using people's minds to exaggerate for effect or to, sub- to diminish for effect so that you could change their perception. Mm-hmm. You know, just sort of this recognition that arrows pointing up are inherently good. Even if the data is actually bad, right? <laughs> yeah, but exactly. people's reaction to seeing an arrow pointing up is a good thing is happening, right? So, sort of same effect here with metrics is you can make the met- you can reflect accurate metrics, but totally change the
1: perception on them. Absolutely. Hey, Richard. Hey, buddy. You know what time it is? Ah, uh, must be that happy time again. Yep, time to downscale the hair loss metric in our Google Analytics middle-aged web portal account. <laughs> That's a vanity metric. I know. It's time to time to thin it out a little bit. <laughs> Just saying. Oh, you gotta keep going with this. We have to map reduce this data. <laughs> <laughs> well, not us. Clearly, I yeah. mean, both of us. We all three of us actually were blessed with full heads. You of hair. still have our hair. Yeah, my father's still offended by that. But yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, but you know, somebody had to do it. Uh, no, it's time to give away a DevExpress Express D Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, picked at random. I should mention, but first, before we do that. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com superhero. And uh, don't forget to thank him for supporting Rocks. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this, is Valera Kolupaev. Congratulations, Valera. <clears throat> a for you. Yeah, just won something really nice from DevExpress, the DevExpress D-Experience subscription. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, we give away stuff every show. If you don't know what we're talking about, go to click on the big Get Free Stuff button. You can't miss it in the upper right-hand corner. Answer a few questions and join our fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and uh, every show we give away great sponsor stuff like DevExpress, the D-Experience subscription. And every December, we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member picked at random, but you've got to sign up to win. And two people have won now.
2: That's right. Well, They both built fairly similar things. Our yep. first one was a development platform for touch, uh-huh. where we built a big desktop machine with a couple of touch screens and a, and a Kinect. And the second one uh, just went out this past December to England. And That's that was right. a mobile development system with a laptop and a bunch of additional hardware to build for all kinds of different devices.
1: Absolutely. If you look back to show 970 that we did with Burke Holland, we actually posted a picture of uh, the last rig that we put together, the nice. last prize, Andy Smith's prize. He sent in a photo of that and we posted it online. Awesome. So we'd like to ask our guests, Zoiner, if you had $5,000 to spend. And you, know, you can donate it to a charity. If you have everything that you need and you know, you're one of those guys, you'd, be, you'd get points for that. But if you've know, you got some pressing uh, thing that you think is really cool that you'd like to buy with 5000 what would you buy?
0: I'm looking for the next startup. I would give $5,000 to the guys to get them going.
1: Nice. No kidding. So are you a Kickstarter junkie?
0: I am not a Kickstarter junkie. Um, part of what we do at Saliance is we look for startups that, uh, are doing innovative things and need help. Like we have a sort of this, this process we call MVP Iteration Zero, which is you're the business guy. You've got the spreadsheet. You've got it all figured out. Great idea, but you have no tech. Right. Where do you go next? Right. So we do this process in a week. So obviously we have a little lead up time to understand what they're talking about, but we develop it, turn it out in a week and leave them with something that they can show to potential investors and to even validate, you know, uh, MVP style if this is, Something that's good and to By bring MVP
1: the or not. you mean minimal viable product.
0: Exactly, exactly. So we call it MVP Iteration Zero because it's not the finished product, right? It's just the first one, the iteration zero, to prove that there's something here. There's the there there, right? Um, and you know, five thousand dollars goes a long way sure to getting someone going. And are
2: them. you a lean startup guy then? You like your lean lean startup, yeah. Very so much so. You, I mean, and if you go down a lean startup path, which really talks about this whole, you know, customer driven concept. Yes. Is this MVP actually the product? Or is it just the website to validate that there's a customer out there that wants this?
0: The most important thing about Lean is not just the customer, but the customer measurement, Mm -hmm. right? That you are learning constantly, right? And you're making data driven decisions. Right. So we actually, sort of as a mantra, say that this must be something valuable to a customer that you're going to get real feedback
2: right there's there's a whole culture now going on about i'm not going to build my product anymore i'm just going to put up a web page where i describe what i'm going to do for you and say click here to get it and then it's a sign up yeah the other side is hey we're not quite ready yet but give us your email address as a way to sort of validate the market but it seems like it's gone too far that it's it's almost kind of deceitful now Hmm. right that you just sort of I'm gonna make you this amazing thing. Do you want it? Yeah. And then, okay, I haven't made it yet. But and thanks.
0: And there's starting to be something of a cultural backlash against yeah, yeah, see I'm that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. You don't have anything. I'm not signing up.
1: Right. We we talked about this on the road trip in Chicago, didn't we? we yeah, were talk- with the Wistiforte. Forte. That's right. Yeah. And, and I sort of brought that up. Don't you make people mad when you do that? When you don't yeah.
2: actually make something, right? So the, and this is the battle of. But you don't want to make the wrong thing either. So yeah. we get in this battle of what does minimal viable product really mean? Mm. And tying back to your point, Zoner, of, and it's about metrics. How do you measure that this is important?
0: Exactly. Uh, And and I think it's a balancing act, right, is the Mm -hmm. honest answer. And one of the things that you want to look at is, you know, most of us as engineers, we want to build the solution. Absolutely. But that's not necessarily the right answer. A big part of it is, is there a man, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain scenario? Yeah. Where you could have the website and you could fake that you actually had software behind the scenes. Right. But you actually had people doing it. Mm -hmm. Right. It was just you as the founders doing the work. Right. So a mechanical Turk model. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, And those are the kind of decisions that we force you know MVP zero customers to get to because mm-hmm. there's not a lot of time in a week to build much software.
2: Sure. So yeah, you you can't do all the back end stuff, but you need you. Uh, I think you actually said this very well, and I kind of derailed you. Right? It's actually doing something valuable for the customer. Yes. Right. It may not be convenient for you, but it's actually valuable, so that you are providing value and you're seeing the reactions to that value to sort of validate your model. Exactly. Okay. This always immediately leads to, can we cite an example of right. a sort of a minimal effort there?
0: Uh, I wish I had a couple launched for you. I don't have any public ones. Right. Um,
2: I'll
1: but you I, do this a lot.
0: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do have
2: one I could probably talk about just because it's far enough away, and they've gone a long way from that. It was something that Steve was involved in that I ended up looking at over in Hong Kong. Oh, sure. The idea was a, a custom tours, but using cabbies. Because cabbies know the city really, really well, right? And there were some problems with regulations and so forth about how you're going to do all of this. But they just wanted to prove the model. like, mm-hmm. Do people want custom tours? Right. If I gave them a website that gave them access to a cabbie who spoke their language well and knew the city, would they do more than just take a ride with this guy? Would they actually want a tour from him? Mm-hmm. And so they put up the site. I mean, they were doing the, the custom-driven thing, but they had two cabbies. So they, it wasn't scalable. But they had a couple of guys they knew. So there's only certain languages going to work, but these guys wanted to do this. They were sort of the, the first proof points. And when those guys were immediately swamped and, and they couldn't fill orders for customers, they sort of got a hint that, Hey, we might have something here that, uh, you know, there were a few people took rides and had a good experience. So when we can provide the experience, it has some value. And this is how big the demand was. And it was far bigger than the limited number of cabbies
0: they had. Hmm. Do you buy that? Does that make sense to you? That, uh, it's, I think they hit the nail on the head with the MVP. I mean, I think the tricky part with MVPs is is it's it's the notion that you're committing to an iterative process, right? Right. You're not committing to this is the end-all, be-all solution that we're going to ship, and we're not going to be ashamed to ship it. No, no, no. You're going to be very ashamed to ship (laughs) it because there's a lot of stuff that you're just totally faking, right? Yeah. Well, it's a a great quote.
2: If you're not embarrassed by your first version, you spent too long on it. Exactly. It's a great quote. Yeah. So actually, sticking to the simple enough and small enough. Well, you know what it is? As engineers, we're all prone to this. We want to build the wonder. Yes. Right? We want to make the perfect thing. We That's just right. want to make it super shiny and, and we'd end up building wrong things
1: that way too.
0: Mm-hmm. And spend kind of way too much time and too much resources on it. You right. don't well,
1: want to build the shiniest wrong thing as quick as possible.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. I, well, I can tell you, you know, an example from personal experience of, of how painful that is. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've seen it with all the startups, but I had one where we thought, you know, I, I had buddies uh, from Stanford who launched a company that did, um, basically collected private information about people and then sold access to that. Right. Right? They aggregated all that information. Was it Facebook? No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Your evil is showing, Richard. Yes, 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 yes. yes. But, uh, you know, we we thought, hey, you know, what if we launched a company that did the opposite, right? And so we would do the same aggregate. We built the same search engine, spider out, collect the data. And uh, instead of, you know, charging you for access to other people's data, we charge you for removing you from those listings.
1: Interesting. Oh, yeah. Reputation.com seems. Well, quite that's what to they claim to, to do
0: for a while. Yeah, right? and, and you know, we actually were in in partnership talks with uh, Identity Guard, who was one one of their biggest competitors. Okay. So like, if you get uh, identity theft protection right. with your credit card or your bank, right, mm-hmm. it's usually these big guys servicing them, right? Right. And so we were in partnerships to build a SaaS solution for the banks, right, mm-hmm. that they could plug in, like Identity Guard come in, and drop drop you in. Nice. And it's, we did huge marketing tests with them. We partnered with one of the Fortune 500 behemoths uh, to do it and found out very quickly, it's great. Everybody loves the concept, but no one wants to pay for it. Right. And you're like, well, and
2: we learned MVP, something. done. Yeah. We yeah, learned. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Not doing that business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, you know, my regret in that was you know, we, we spent over a year of time implementing the system when it should have been like three to six months. Right. right? And we spent probably a quarter million dollars. Learning that this was not something that people were willing to pay for yet.
2: I guess that's another aspect of this whole metrics thing is it's not just, is this a good idea? Do you want this? But how much would you be willing to pay?
0: Absolutely. You know,
2: really testing different pricing models. You know, would you you subscribe to a monthly fee versus a one big upfront payment? Like what's a better way? It's a lot of like the identity protection stuff. They want a monthly fee from you. And And it also creates a sense of we're looking out for you every day. Exactly. Kind of thing.
0: Yep. It's kind of like the antivirus for your personal information.
2: Sure. And, you, and you want to sort of insert yourself into their lives. We're going to send you a report every month of what, what we checked uh-huh. on you, where we mm-hmm. saw you. Like, so you can create some visibility around that. You know, the pricing models is a huge conversation. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Yeah. I'm very to,
0: sensitive. Uh, in terms of you know your A/B tests and right. stuff to figure out what's the comfort zone for your customer. Well, to and for a
2: it. lot of people, the correct answer for every price is always free when you deal with internet. Like, N-
0: but that's the funny thing is they think it's free, right. But no, it's it's free with invasion of your privacy, right? Internet. Exactly. <laughs> if if you're right. not
2: paying for the product, you're the product. Precisely. <laughs> wow, I,
1: Richard, you just nailed it right there. You should wear, not, that should be on a t-shirt on bumper stickers i think everywhere. it is i mean i'm <laughs> yeah. not the
2: one who ra- invented that statement but it is one of those profound things that, that is yeah, profound you are the product it's just a question at the same time it's like okay everybody gets that they don't want the privacy made and so forth It says so will you pay us 20 dollars a month will you really exactly right like actually getting people to put down the money Is it really challenging part of this equation?
0: And just take it out of context. It's not a website. It's not a web service. It's nothing like that where you're charging a monthly fee. Just say we want to send you on a wonderful trip to South America. Right. Yes. Are you interested? Who's going to say no? Yeah. Right. But then you're going. It's going to cost you twenty five (laughs) grand. Right. Uh, And it's just unfortunate that with you know web scale and software, people are used to even ninety nine cents being a dilemma. Well, it, and which is ridiculous,
2: right? Like anything under the price of your latte. Are you kidding me? Yes. And yet we know it is.
1: So is it just the transactional friction? Like, I'm a, I'm a big I I, I. I don't know. I think it. Uh, you only drink so many lattes a day, but these little things add up, and you could see yourself overdosing on them, right?
2: No, I definitely overdose on lattes.
0: Well, but you that, know what I'm that saying, That feels though? like an irrational fear to me, though. And the reason why is, um, you know, it's 99 cents. What's the value of your time? Because uh, people right. okay, will okay. spend hours researching a 99 cent app. It's unbelievable. All
1: right, right. I understand a one-time app, but, you know, things that are four ninety nine a month.
0: Yeah. Monthly fees, know, I think people more... Monthly
1: fees. Like, if I added up all the things that I bought that are monthly that I no longer use, that I've lost control over, right. I'd be scared. That's a big deal. Yeah.
2: Well, I think, but you speak on a bigger issue here, which is undoing that requires more time. That's right. Right? Like, that's the real issue here. Uh, and I, I think we keep forgetting, what's the book I read on this? Um, the I know which book you're Paradox Paradox about. The Paradox of Choice. Paradox of so the choice. Paradox of Choice talks about how powerful regret is as a driver. Mm-hmm. That the risk of regret is so powerful that people refuse to make a choice. So the hang up on the 99 cent song or the 99 mm-hmm. cent app is not the 99 cents. It's... The feeling of regret if I don't like it. Yep. Yep. And so the risk of regret is high enough that I just won't make the decision, which means I
1: don't buy. And interestingly enough, if the price is higher... That's a signal that there's more of a chance that you'll like it.
2: Right, higher value. Higher value. How could you like anything that's only worth 99 cents? What does that say about you as a person Right, to like something that cheap? Right. Yeah. Which is really a twisted way to think. It's true. (laughs) Holy man.
0: Well, if you you stop and think about what you said with regret, the other word I'd throw in there is fear. Right. And what's ironic about fear in this market is that fear can be a motivator to purchase, but fear can also be a deterrent.
2: An opportunity to avoid.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we, we tried both in our, uh, you know, our privacy company sure. doing well, both. Because we scare people, people and say, here's a free search we just did. Look, you know, we know everything about your children right yeah. now. Are you freaked out yet? You should be, right? Yes. And, and buy our service. By the service, right? <laughs> um, and, and that can work as a motivator. But at the same time, they're like, well, but what if, you know, what if you only find all that information once? Do I really need you for the rest right. of the year?
2: Well, and it's, you're no. also on the, aren't you on the fine edge of extortion at that point? You know, it's how far is that from the from the the mafia? Hey, nice family got there. <laughs> <Yeah>. Shame <laughs> if something happened to <laughs> them.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and that was the that you know for me. If you know me, I, I'm a very ethical, straight line person when it comes to those things, and that bothered me a lot. Sure, and I talked to a lot I, of web I marketing guys trading on fear, and they were like, "No problem, cross that line, uh, <laughs> go man. for it." Like, oh,
2: well, marketing. well, especially you know being the Canadian in the room, like. You, the the American news system, the Ameri- you know so much advertising and so much promotion mm. driven by fear.
1: Mm-hmm. Like I just I don't uh, want to be part of not that not just advertising, the whole fricking culture is driven by fear. But Entertainment is driven by fear. Because it seems to work. Yep. Like how do we how do we make
2: non fear
1: approaches we have, work better? And what we end up with is a bunch of and kids especially. It's sickening that the, the, we just have a bunch of afraid kids. Yeah. And they're afraid to, they're paralyzed. Yeah, that's exactly
2: where we're at. And it it's, well, you know, in Paradox Choice, you're talking about fear of regret, right? It's that, that, that combination. Make that there's such a pent up energy around making a bad choice that, which is, uh, to me seems crazy. I can't tell you how many 99 cent apps I've bought and fired up for a while and gone, eh, dud, move on, right? It's, right. Because to me, I'm much, I really value my time highly. So you can figure out an app really, really fast by actually using it. Mm. We're studying slides, you know, studying screenshots. It takes a long time. Exactly. Buy it, try it, sucks, move on. Mm -hmm. Buy it, try it, awesome, move
1: on. it's pretty simple. Well, I think I've come to a new conclusion here. Instead of giving my music away, I'm going to charge $500 for an album. There you that's go. That's what I think I'm going to do. <laughs> because that's what it's worth. And actually, if I sold, you know, a hundred of them, I'd actually make my money back.
2: <laughs> so why don't yourself? sell... For, sell it for 50 grand yeah
1: yeah right? sell one
2: because yeah but that's how well, who's gonna buy
1: that <laughs> i don't know
2: but i only need one
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's how much money i put into my album yeah. sure and i probably made about 500 bucks on it yeah, yeah.
2: selling it at, at, a, at a dollar a song yeah yeah a dollar an album yeah, yeah yeah it's a it's a because the transactional process but is then so again
1: different. i never set out to make money with music never and i never will
2: you just make people happy, Mr. Franklin. That's it. That's what you do. And that's do. what
1: we do here, too, right? Yeah. We're just a whole pile of... So this is my three words of advice to people, to listeners, to kids. Just be awesome. <laughs> More Don't I be like afraid. It. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Just be awesome, and good things happen. How are we going to wrap this up? Because I think we're
0: almost out of time. I think that's
1: it, man. Yeah. That's a good place to land. I'm pretty Don't happy you think, with that. Yep. I Anything think else great. that you want to add?
0: Uh well I'll give you the links for uh my site and my blog for right? sure. We'll, we'll, put about we'll put them on the on the show notes.
2: Yeah. Um where folks can learn more about exactly. using these analytic tools properly. Exactly. And yeah.
0: then you know I wanted to add just on the uh measurement protocol, right? An easy way to develop against REST services is curl. You've probably used curl before. Mm-hmm. Right? Um I found an awesome website called hurl.it. Hurl it. <laughs> love the name, right? It's, it's like, love the name, amazing results, right? Yeah. You go there and you can write your REST request. And so for things like you want to play around with the measurement protocol, just oh, go to Hurl the head and start writing your REST request.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah great way to test and experiment with how things are actually working.
0: Exactly.
1: You know, okay. anytime I can go online and just type in some code and test it. I'm, See it work. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, I love that.
0: Gotta love cross-device co- programming, right? Exactly. Like you can <laughs> program from any device that has a browser. Well yeah,
2: and anything that I can get to via the internet with Herlit, I can now literally just poke the commands I want to do. Yep. Heck you just request a web page, right? It's just to yeah, get
0: exactly. Yeah, get yeah. me my
1: homepage and you'll get it you'll get it back. That's cool. I like that. That's very cool. And too bad I can't use that on Better No Framework now.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, well it's better no framework, we just put it at the end of the show. There you and go. And Zoiner did it. There you go. Well you heard it here, folks. Uh, that's the show. Thank you, Zoiner. It's been a pleasure, guys. It's been a huge pleasure talking to you, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, And produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time.